Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. TV adventurer and author Simon Reeve chats to us about his brand new adventure book, Journeys to Impossible Places. Pulitzer Prize winning author Anthony Doerr tells us about his new novel, Cloud Cuckoo Land. And Julian Clary gives us an insight into his brand new book, The Lick of Love, a celebration of the bond between us humans and dogs. But before all that, here's Maria and Graham's guide. Hey, hey, hey Graham Norton. I can hardly see you through the fog. <laughs> It's it's my own personal fog that I bought in this morning. I looked outside and thought it's foggy. I better take some with me. Oh, I, I thought you'd be vaping. <laughs> Illegal vaping. Yes, no. Not in this building, Graham Norton. Thank I you think, very much, I Jerry. I think you're fine. It's, thank you, Jerry. Thank you for that. Um, I watched your show this morning, actually. Oh, did you? My BBC One chat show you... that's on at 10.35 on Friday is now available on iPlayer. That one. Very good. Yes. I thought it was a really good show last night. Some uh, good really... people. Yeah, good bunch. They, they all got on. It was nice. Daisy Haggard. I'm it's... slightly in love with Daisy I'm Haggard. I'm in love with Daisy Haggard. Everything about her I adore and her show is fabulous. But also, can I just say... Andy McDowell, for she of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, yeah, and many other things. And many other things, of course, Groundhog Day, etc. Who's in Made, which is very, very good, starring... Have you seen any of them? Yes. Yeah. You don't like it. Starring <laughs> her daughter, Margaret Qualley. Um, and what I loved about her is that she has had no work done on her face. No. Very refreshing. Look, she started out with a very pretty face. I mean, you know, she's got it going yeah. on and she was a model and she's nine foot three, etc., with big hair. But she has not gone down Hollywood Road of super facelifts. No. Or I mean, fillers or anything. And I, it was it, refreshing it, to me. Well, it is, but it's slightly what you're saying. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, she was this startlingly beautiful woman and she's still a yes. startlingly beautiful Thank woman you that. because it's all bone structure and da, 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 da. I think if you're a different sort of beauty maybe you do need uh, a little doctor help to come with chisel and a hammer and well, yeah. but no, you know, I think there's a two arguments to that because if you are very beautiful, it's very hard to leave that beauty behind, mm. which is why we see very beautiful people doing madnesses to their face. Oh yeah. So she has just kind of gone, no, not going to go there. Not going to go there. Well, the, the thing I really love is that big mane of grey hair where she's. I think she went. She went grey for a roll or something. She was dying it. She went grey for a roll, and then she just thought, you know, I quite like this, and. Uh, there's a, <laughs> I, I think she also, Anna McDowell has that laziness versus vanity thing. Yeah. So she says, actually, it's really easy if I don't have to get all this hair dyed. So she just went grey. And it's beautiful, this big crowning mane. You never yes. see that much grey hair. Unless it's Mary Beard, obviously. <laughs> and Billy Porter as well. Isn't he Doesn't good? Doesn't have grey hair. Doesn't have grey hair, no. Yeah. he's There's not much natural about him, I would say. No. High energy. I, quite a diva. Yeah, but but I, I mean, think... you know, that's he he plays that role and he is that role. And also, if you're that talented, you're allowed to be. If you, I mean, have you? His voice is insane. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it is really fantastic. But I thought it was a very good show. Thank um, you very Graham, much. I'm finding the um, summer to autumn transition oh. a little difficult. Tell me about it. Are you finding it difficult too? This is my least favourite transition of 
of seasons, not that we really have seasons anymore, but you see at least when spring to summer you've got summer to look forward to, autumn to winter. No, see, no I think oh. I find winter to summer just as bad. Oh, why? Because oh, then... Squeaky. Because, why? Why, Graham? Why? Why, Graham? <laughs> let's, let's, I'm going to talk like that the whole time. Let's cut that up and have that as a, tra- a trail. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Why? Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, because uh, you're, you think you're going to be cold, you put on your winter clothes and then you sweat like a pig and you show up and you don't stop sweating for a long long time whereas this morning i left the house and the few little hairs on my head were not enough to insulate it and i thought oh actually i need my sort of Livy newton john headband thing yes did Uh, you not have it no because it's not you know a minute ago it was really hot would you rather be too hot or too cold this is fascinating (laughs) (laughs) if only the sony awards are still going no, I like the Would You Rather game. You did a show about Would You Rather. Which yeah, it, was, it wasn't recommissioned. No. And it was only on in America, wasn't it? Or was yeah. it ever on here? No. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. But it answered, I think, too cold. I think too cold. Yeah, yeah me yeah. too. Virgin Radio. Do you want a problem? I've got I some. I love one. OK, here goes with the first problemo. Dear Graham and Maria... I have two best friends from different parts of my life and who only know each other. I'm going to cough, sorry. On a surface level. (laughs) Both of them are getting married next year due to the pandemic and having to reschedule. Their weddings are both now, guess what, Graham? On exactly the same date in June June next year (laughs) in two completely different cities. So there's no comedy racing around. (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor is my childhood best friend. We've known each other for about 20 years now, and even when we've been at the other end of the world, we've still been super close and in constant contact. We're different people, but are always there for each other. Good to know. Ava or Ava, is a more recent friend. I met her at work in my first proper job and we've known each other for just under five years now. We're two pages from the same book, so we get on really well and she's the friend I see in person more frequently. I love both of them very much and I don't want to miss either, but they're both expecting me to go and I don't know how to break it to one of them that I'm not going to be there, let alone decide who that is, exclamation mark. What do you think I should do? And that is from Isabel in Lincoln. Um, Isabel in Lincoln, here's the first thing to remember. Both of them are getting married, so both of them are going to have their special day, which will be all about them. All about them. As a couple, her and her husband, her and her husband. So I don't think you need to worry too much. You need to give people notice. You need to tackle this soonest. I know it's not until June next year, but don't put it to one side because it will get like a bigger and bigger problem, homework that you haven't done, and it will start to consume you. So my feeling personally is... Uh, go to your longest serving friend. That's oh. Eleanor. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Toss a coin. I'm not sure. Um, one one person is going to be disappointed, but not that disappointed because there'll be lots of other people at their wedding. Yeah. So, you know, just decide and say to the one you're not going to, I'll make it up to you. We'll go out for a slap up meal or blah, 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 whatever you, your budget allows. But do it soonest. Don't let it eat away at you um, because it will do and you'll just get frantic about it. Yeah, I've come up with a very good solution. Oh, well, you know, yesterday you came up with a very good... Yeah, well, I'm on fire. This is my very good solution and it has... Well, 
basically, my solution is don't go to either of them. I knew you would say that. And that way, she doesn't have to go to any stupid wedding. I know, but look, (laughs) I think the difference between you and Isabel in Lincoln is that she's a very nice person (laughs) and you're quite a horrible person. And also, you hate going to things. And frankly, I agree with you because weddings are long and boring. Why do they have to be so long? Go on forever and ever and ever. So, um, no, I'm not sure that's a good idea because then you'll just sit lonely at home thinking, I miss my friends, I wish I was seeing them. You've got to go to one of them and you want to go to one of them, but you also want to do something celebratory with the other one. And to be honest, really, Isabel, neither of them will really care that much. They will. Oh, will they? Okay. Well, no, not that, not that you oh. didn't go to their wedding. But you went to another person. But you went to another, that you chose someone else. That Hence my solution, don't go to either of them. Just say you're having a hip replacement and, or, you know, something. Or you're at work. Sorry, I forgot to call. I, I forgot hip to book, replacement. I forgot to book the day She's off. She's only about 25. She's only been working for five years. Yeah. She met her first proper job. No, just be honest. Be honest and say to, and this is my feeling, Ava, more recent friend, I have known Eleanor for a long time. Actually, you're right. And, uh, you know, that's... It's kind of like, you know, that is the law of friendship, really. The longest one gets the most loyalty. Actually, now you say it like that, you're right. (sighs) Well, I think Ava will... If Ava doesn't get that, then she's not much cop, is she? Yeah. I mean, Ava is your work friend. You've known... I mean, I know they're two pages from the same book. Two pages from the same book, Graham. That's difficult. uh... (laughs) For your page not to be there at your wedding. Have a bridesmaid instead. <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't think you need to stress yourself too much because really, in all the, the excitement of it all, it's going to be now that they're a bit cross, but on the day they'll be fine and you'll go to your oldest friend's wedding. Yeah, or tell them you are going and then just don't show up. And, they, you know, they may not notice. Graham is determined <laughs> to not allow you to go to either wedding. What are you suggesting she do on that day in June instead of going to those two weddings? I don't know, watch the racing on telly or something. I don't know. <laughs> Put a bet on. Get married yourself. <laughs> yes. There's yes. the way round oh, that's this. a good idea. That's yeah. the way just, round You it. book your wedding for the same day. <laughs> and just hurry up and find somebody for next June, because really there's a lot resting on this. Uh, Isabel in London, I really think we've helped you there. Our favourite bits of advice today. We'll be getting a number one Basque cheesecake from Waitrose. It's not burnt. No, it's a dark, deeply caramelised top. That's what that is. Uh, over Madagascan vanilla. Mm, baked at a high temperature. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, what did the listeners think? Lynn from the Wirral. Isabel should get a cardboard cutout. <laughs> oh, come on. Are people not going to take this seriously? Isabel should get a cardboard cutout and send it to the childhood friend's wedding as the newer friend seems more fun. Do you know, I was thinking that too. I mean, in the end, you go to the wedding you want to, but I think Maria's right. You need to go, okay, I've known you for 20 years. If you ask me to your wedding, I need to go. A new friend ought to understand. Rachel from Gloucester. I would go to... I would go to Eleanor's. If you're so close to Ava, why aren't you a bridesmaid? Well, Rachel has found another problem. (laughs) She's my best friend, and yet I have not been asked to be a bridesmaid. Okay. Alex and Wells, go to the wedding of whoever invited you first. That is good. That is good. I mean, I, I, do you know, this did happen to me. I was, I just remember this. I was invited to a, a good friend's wedding, um, and then my nephew uh, was getting married on the same day. Now, I went with family. I said, I said to my friend, look, I'm really sorry. I've got to go to my nephew's wedding. And they seemed to understand. I haven't seen a lot of them since. But uh, (laughs) to me, there was a kind of logic to that. Maybe I'm wrong. Heather in Manchester. 
I wonder if it's possible to arrange a meet-up with both of them, take them out for a night's lunch and put it to them that you feel very torn. No, Michelle or Heather, these people will not care that much. I mean, it's like it, they're trying to organise the wedding. The last thing they need is a lunch to sort out uh, Libby's problem, or Isabel's problem. Uh, OK, uh, anyway, uh, you can tell them you love them both dearly and it's upsetting. Maybe see if they can come up with a solution once they understand the predicament you're in. Yeah, Heather, I mean, no one is, is no one's invested in this. It's it's really, it's really only Isabel in Lincoln who's invested. Uh, Paul in Kingham. Go to the wedding for one and the do for the other, uh, whichever is offering the best menu and band. <laughs> yeah, go to the one with a free bar. That's... <laughs> that's really the deciding factor. Uh, different cities, Paul. Very different cities. So you that's the thats the proper dilemma. She can't split herself between these two. She's got to decide. Um, oh, no. Dave and Gloucester. Very good idea. Go to Ava's hen party and Eleanor's wedding. Simple. Dave, you've solved it. The number one Basque cheesecake is yours. That's what it is. Graham's do you want another problem? Oh, I'd love one. Okay, here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, I dated someone for a few months and we're still in the same friendship group, four years on. Initially, there was a bit of awkwardness and obviously we're not as close as we were, but we still get on really well now. She has a new boyfriend and she's had him for a while. We've hung out with him a few times as a group. He's really good friends with the girls that she lives with. Don't understand this. And has now messaged me a few times to organise a potential meet-up. I have no problem with it and would love to get to know him better. But do you think there's a reason that he singled me out of all the male friends in our group? Or... Am I just overthinking it? We live fairly close, so it may be just for convenience, but I want to make sure there's no weirdness hanging out with the new boyfriend of essentially my ex. And that is from Matt in Dartmouth. Matt in Dartmouth, overthinking it, you reckon? I mean, there's a slight paranoia in this letter that has sort of put you on the back foot, which makes me think, what happened when you finished with this girl four years ago it's a long time ago what what is it why are you worried about it all you know you're still in you're in the same friendship group you all go out for drinks it's all clearly fine so I don't understand what's going on unless something really bad happened where's the problem I mean I would just say Matt in Dartmouth stop overthinking it meet him for a drink and just check say hey you know boy's name just check in everything's cool with blah 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 <laughs> girl's name. I love uh, your youth speak. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, just checking everything's cool. Yeah. Just checking everything. Yeah. Do you want to hang out at the soda fountain? <laughs> <laughs> I, that isn't my youth speak. You really don't want to hear my youth speak, let me tell you. So, yeah, you just say to him when you arrive at the pub, it's all cool, isn't it? It's all fine <laughs> regarding girl's name who I used to go out with and, you know, bad thing happened or something. And there you go. Bish bosh done. OK, I am reading between the lines. Oh, go on then. I've what, dug what? deep. I think Matt thinks she's going out with a gay guy. That's what I think. Now, just explain to me where you got that from, Graham. He Norton. gets on really well with the girl she lives with. <laughs> and why is why has he singled me out? Because I'm I'm so beautiful. <laughs> It's an odd thing to say he gets on really well with the girls that she yeah. lives with. But that's like, that. I thought that to be he knows quite a lot about girlfriend and she, they all know a lot about ex-girlfriend and so Matt everyone... Matt thinks he's going to make a move. Matt thinks he's going to make a move. That's, why, that's what I think. 
Mm, well, that's, you know, that's novel, Graham, and that's come a little out of left field. But I'm and sure it would make the letter more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they would. Um, but why don't you just say then, hey, boy's name, just checking out things cool with girl's name. And by the way, I'm not gay. <laughs> Yeah. Please don't try to kiss me. I mean, maybe Matt in Dartmouth is thinking, well, you know, I went out with her for a while and I'm gay. No, don't start that. So now. why? So how is it that she's gone out with another gay guy? What's going on? This poor girl. You know, people go for types. Liking musicals, very well groomed and other cliches. Yes, gets on so well with all my girlfriends. Um, uh, look, Matt and Dartmouth, I, it is slightly weird that the guy is messaging you above everyone else. If, if you know, if it's a group chat, then that's fine. But, if but they live close by and he just wants oh, to have a drink with you. it's still weird that you're singling so. out the guy that went out with your girlfriend. Four years ago, they all hang out, everyone gets on well, they're all grown up. Still odd. Well, I think odd is I, his reaction, frankly. Yeah, well, I th no, I think if I was mad, I'd be like, this is a bit odd. And I'd, but if you don't want to ha see him, if you don't want to hang out with him, just say no. It doesn't matter. No, it's not that he doesn't want to hang out with him and he's just worried that he's overthinking it. Kiss it's... me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure there's no weirdness hanging out with the new boyfriend of essentially my ex. I'm right. I'm right. That's what's going on here. What, the gay? Yeah. That is what's happening here. Well, then stop overthinking it and just put him straight. Or, or have a kiss. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Oh, Just you get, wait and see. If you get engaged, do let us know. <laughs> let next, us know how next, your ex feels. Yeah, We'd love to hear week, from her. Yeah, next week we'll get a letter. My ex-boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them are gay. What are the chances? Um, oh, look, Matt and Dartford, We I feel we haven't helped because we don't really understand your problem. No. But As maybe... two people we haven't helped, I think we're doing very well. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. But Earning think... every penny of our fee, Graham. <laughs> Uh, no, I feel I feel we dug deep with our empathy with Matt. I'm very... I, can I just say, I'm very impressed with my forensic emotional work on this letter. Well, you've, you went off on a tangent, which may or may not be true. But I found something in this letter. Well... This dull, lucky, lifeless letter. <laughs> lucky you. We have been horrible to everybody today. We'll try better tomorrow. Oh, yes, we are back tomorrow. I was going to say next week, but no, it's tomorrow. Today's, yes. Today's only Saturday. I hope the listeners do better than we have. What did you think? Uh, Val from Bournemouth. I think the new boyfriend has some concerns about this girl and wants some background info. Mm. I think they should meet. What's the worst that can happen? I think we now know that. If he refuses, it could only cause bad feelings between them, which would then impact on the group. I mean, yes, you can't really say no. <laughs> you could put him off a bit, but I think it's a, a flat refusal would seem odd. Uh, Tina says, you're being singled out as the ex by the new boyfriend. Maybe the reason is because new boyfriend who's been around for a while wants to propose and doesn't want to upset you. So just giving you a heads up. Just go meet him. Now, see, Tina, <laughs> Tina's overthought it in the opposite way from me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the way we just see, see what we want to see. Tina's seen a proposal. <laughs> yeah, uh, they probably want to get married. Uh, that's probably why he wants to get married. That's what. Uh... Ross is in Portsmouth. You shouldn't be paranoid. Are you feeling guilty? Meet up and have a good time. OK, then you feel guilty. Gabby in Wales. I think the ex is doing the old, I'll be best pals with your girl till she tires and I'll be there and have her back. What? 
Okay. I uh, can't believe how much I thought about that. My head hurts. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, I feel you should have maybe uh, taken a, a headache pill before you sent in the text. I don't really follow it. Uh, Paul and Beckham. Is Matt daft? He'll get a shock when ex's boyfriend doesn't make a pass at him and actually warns him off, calling or seeing his girlfriend again. Those staring eyes at Matt are not wanting. They're jealous. Mm. Um, uh, Paul, because, uh, yes, I feel I feel you've you've looked seen to the core of the problem. Paul in Peckham is going to get the delicious Basque cheesecake courtesy of Waitrose. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hey, everyone. It's time to meet my first guest of the day. Uh, he's an adventurer, best-selling author. He's travelled extensively through more than 110 countries across mountains, jungles, deserts and oceans, including circling the planet three times for the BBC. He now has a new book out called Journeys to Impossible Places in Life and Every Adventure. His name is Simon Reeve and he joins us now. Hello. Hello to you. How are you, Graham? <laughs> I'm very, very, very well. Uh, thank you very much for this book, Journeys to Impossible Places. I mean, it's it, Impossible Places. It in, in sort of encompasses lots of different journeys. Let's start with the obvious meaning: uh, you travelling around <laughs> the world. Uh, one of the themes I think in this book is everywhere you go is just a bit ruined by us. <laughs> Sort of, you, you keep going, going. Oh, because we want to eat so many prawns, they've had to do this. Because we want this much fish, they want to do this. Uh, is it depressing as you go around the world, thinking, "Oh, I've, I've, I've ruined this for everyone"? Uh, not, not depressing. It can be. I, I know what you mean. It can be a bit upsetting when we look at the state of the world and we think, "Oh my goodness, what on earth have we done to it?" But I think the great joy for me about travel is actually I really like humans. I really love us. And wherever I am, whether it's a dark, difficult place or the most beautiful island on the planet, there's always human beings there who are wonderful and inspiring. So I think they they keep me jolly and keep the spirits up, even though you do despair slightly at what we collectively are doing. Um, I mean, I think my sort of sadness about the state of the world, if it is that, is is really based around just a desire for us to continue. You know, I don't want us to wipe ourselves out, but I think there is a ridiculous and stupid risk of that happening. It, yeah, I mean, there is a there is a grim, you know, you do sell like sort of a grim kind of. Well, here we go. The, the 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 lovely thing in the book too is because of of lockdown, obviously, you, you know, you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't do anything, and it's you. I mean, I think you always liked where you live, but to to read about you discovering where you live in a new way. Yeah, I think I probably. Um... Uh, got a bit addicted to the to the travel and you know there there are worse things to be addicted to after all um and I think I hadn't quite understood just how much it had taken over my 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 heart my soul um so yeah obviously a lot of people had a really impossibly awful time during lockdown and really struggled for me I live somewhere um remote and rural um I've got uh, now two dogs a 10 year old lad uh, we had to get him out. Um, so, yeah, there was a sort of uh, enforced lockdown for us, of course, but also an enforced opportunity to see a bit more of where we live and explore it and understand it and really 
enjoy it as well. And just I have a bit of a cliche, really, but a chance to look back as well, like every other sort of D-list television presenter. You know, Stop couldn't it. do much telly work. A-list. Come on now. <laughs> um, and uh, and so that gave me a chance, I suppose, to to think about what I'd been doing, um, the journeys I'd been on, and it was in that sense a lovely chance, if you like, to to think about the journeys I've had, all of the journeys, um, they've all felt impossible to me. I mean, the jet setting has been amazing, but it's definitely not what I ever imagined I would do in life. You know, I don't feel like I was born to be a traveller. It's not something I grew up doing. I don't come from that sort of background. So it felt like an impossible thing that I was allowed to do in life and able to do in life. And to have it taken away was very tricky. But, you know, other people suffered a lot worse. Yeah. And one of the impossible journeys you talk about in, in the book is your journey to becoming a dad. Mm. Um, and it's a really, you know, I suppose... You know, we see you on TV and, you know, I've I've read things about your, your past and, you know, you were a troubled teen and your, all of that sort of stuff. But this seems really uh, personal. Was it a difficult decision to to share that story? Because, of course, it's, it's not just your story. Uh, the only difficult bit about it was, was it going to upset or embarrass my son? And I don't have a problem with spilling my beans out uh in any in any sense i don't i don't have anything to hide in that sense i I realized after i did i can barely say it but after i did my first book about me 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 um (laughs) where i sort of talked about as you say my my mental health challenges and just general awfulness when i was a teenager um you know i found that very cathartic actually and people responded to it in a really warm way and i realized that even as I say, a D-lister like me, if we speak up about what we've been through, that can potentially help a couple of other people. So I, I think there's a there's a you know there's a freedom almost in you like and a, and a and a a freeing of talking about difficult situations we've been through. So I didn't yeah. have a problem in that sense, but I didn't want to embarrass my lad too much. But he's ten. He's it's not. He's not in the whole teenage time when anything dad did would just be awful. And I talked to him, uh, talked about it with him, and he was completely cool about it. Um, and so I've made a note of what he said and how he did say it was okay. So in years to come, when he says, how could you do that? I said, you did say it was all right. Um, but yeah, I did think I'll just be open. I'll be honest. Yeah. I'll explain, you know, in as graphic detail as is acceptable in a book what I went through. Um, you know, sometimes you see people cruising along in life, everything's okay above the surface. Um, but I was flapping away beneath it and really struggling. And we went through years trying to um, have our have a child, have our son. And I was told it was impossible. And that for me, as in the book, that's the sort of biggest journey of all, my little journey to being a dad and told it was impossible. Ha ha, I've got him now. And uh, yeah, and so and but it is interesting because I think you know to hear a man talking about fertility issues is rare. We don't hear that story very much. I think you're right, and uh, I think it's yeah, it's another area where where guys come on. We need to be more open about the physical, emotional, mental challenges we face. It's okay to share. It's the 21st century, for goodness sake. And yeah, I've, I realised that I suppose very much with the when when I was talking about the challenges I had when I was a teenager, Um, you know, and I realised guys, we don't really talk about these problems. And for young men particularly, they're supposed to put up a front. They're supposed to be all that. And often they don't feel that way. And they've got a huge number of pressures on them now. I think more than even when I was 
um, young all those centuries ago. And, and I think it's important that men discuss how they feel, not to the endless. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't want to pour it all out every day. We've got to get on with life as well. But share in just an open, practical, caring way. Uh, as long as somebody's listening, and that can be a challenge, of course, because it's all very well telling people to talk, but if there isn't anyone to listen, that yeah. can be very hard. Um, but you know, there are people out there who will help and will 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 listen to your stories, and and talk about how you're feeling, and and talk about the problems you've had. And as you say, guys, don't talk about their fertility and their fertility challenges. We just sort of focus on women, and that's yeah. not only unfair, but it, it excludes us from being part of the solution. You've got two dogs now, Obi and and Lila, and you talk about how Obi. Also, do you say it, Obi? You do. Okay. Yes. Um, that he won't be offended though. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you've got a liver treat. Yeah. <laughs> His little ears are pricking up now. Obi, <laughs> Obi, hello. Yes. <laughs> do you want it? Me? You called. You go. Yes. Uh, and you write in the book about uh, dogs and kind of mental health and just living in the moment. I just want to, you to talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Well, I think they've been brilliant for that. Um, I've got two dogs, as you say, one I've had for five years now. I can't quite believe his name's Obi. Um, and he's like a, a child to me. I mean, he's completely a human part of the family. He's got a com- total vocal range in how he communicates, like the dog in like Scooby-Doo. Um, <laughs> and he's just amazing and brilliant. And he's only ever got happy, positive eyes and a happy, positive outlook. And then during lockdown, we've got another dog called Lila. Um, like sort of every other family around where we live. Um, and they're just both wonderful and they just lift my spirits so dramatically. Um, I just went on a, a walk with them this morning and just following them around, I just find I'm, I'm, I've got a big smile, this sort of dopey smile on my face the whole time when I'm with them because they really keep you in the moment. They're yeah. so excited by everything around them. Everything is a treat. Everything is a joy. Um, they're not fearful about the wider world. They're not worried about, as you say, prawn farmers in Bangladesh or something. <laughs> they're right here with me, enjoying what's around. And they keep me, they, they, they help to keep me much more level and much more um, positive as well. And I do find that because I've got two dogs, I love them. I've got to take them out. They have to be walked. Um, we go out, obviously, whatever the weather, just that simple act of walking, I find very um, helpful and uplifting as well. Very mindful, if you like. But yeah. One foot in front of the other. Wherever you're doing, dog walk or not, it does just start to lift your spirits a bit. That's what we, as a creature, a being, um, were, were built to do. So they've been they've been they're a lot cheaper than therapy, and they're a lot more um, a lot more positive results as well, frankly. And they keep you warm. It's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> what I like is though, there's a lovely picture of you, the two dogs, on the cover of the book. And you know, this is a book, obviously, about, presumably a professional photographer. Da, da. You still couldn't get those dogs to look down the lens. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all our, our our parental lack of training. I think He's, he caught them just at the moment. At least they both looked in the same direction at the same time. <laughs> it does look like there's a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To one yeah. side. Yeah. There was, there was another dog walk past, and they were both you know <laughs> checking them out, checking them out. Uh, tell me that you're working with the National Trust. What's the dog project with the National Trust you're doing? The Dogs Welcome Project. You'd be very, very welcome to to join us in that. So it's it's a it's a project in partnership um, with Fourth Glade, the natural pet food company. They launched a new initiative to improve access, I guess, for for our four legged 
friends across national trust places in england wales northern ireland and that means from introducing more dog friendly trails wash down areas drinking stations you name it it's about i think the the national trust places being um sort of taking a step back and saying right well dogs are incredibly important for the people who come here let's make them more welcome more part of the national trust places also providing spaces for people who don't want to be near um <laughs> bounding four-legged dogs of course but generally i think it's about um making them more um pleasant wonderful places for for doggies to come to and they've got a new i love it they've got a new paw print rating which will start up from uh, from january where all national trust 517 anyway national trust places are going to be assessed for dog friendliness oh wow um, and they'll get maybe three paw prints if they're the very best to offer um uh, a, a great way of sort of gauging what uh, national trust properties have to offer before visiting them and this very quickly what mm. now the world is opening up again do you have a new trip planned are you uh off with your camera crew t- uh, somewhere else well we're hoping so yeah I, i've filmed in the lake district this year for a series that's coming out in a month or so i think um but yeah the world is starting to open up now travel is starting to become much more um uh, possible for those who are lucky enough to be able to do it um i'm hoping we'll be heading back to south america uh, I haven't forgotten, uh, and I don't think any of us should forget how wonderful travel is, what an opportunity it is. Obviously, we all need to be travelling responsibly and sustainably, definitely. But, you know, travel is a huge industry as well. It employs millions of people around the world. It helps to protect and preserve important places around the world. So, you know, I'm hoping travel will restart. We've got to make it more environmentally friendly, definitely. But the opportunities and memories it offers, my goodness, yeah. So South America, I hope for me at some point, um, when it's safe and viable. But yeah, the government's just said you're allowed to leave the country now um, a little bit more than you were before. So we are sort of packing bags, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, your wife and son, like, is he still here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they found the passport for me. I don't know what they're trying to tell me. Uh, Simon, lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. Thank Journeys you, to Impossible Places in Life and Every Adventure is out on the 28th of October. Uh, good luck with the book. Good luck with your travels. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Take care, Simon. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. Uh, he was a writer. He is a writer. Uh, perfectly happy. Wrote two short story collections, a novel, a memoir, and then he wrote a novel called All the Light We Cannot See, which went gangbusters and won him the Pulitzer. Now, his much-anticipated uh, next novel is Cloud Cuckoo Land. Anthony Doerr should be joining us now. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Graham. Thanks Hi. for having me. Uh, well, no, thank you for getting up at some ungodly hour. What time is it where you are? <laughs> 6.06 a.m. Wowza. Is this Boise, Idaho? <laughs> uh, well, I'm in a hotel. I did an event in St. Louis last night, so I'm in St. Louis. Okay, so you're working. You're on the road. You're on the road, yeah. Uh, I'm on the road. Yeah, I had 10 in-person events. It's been actually really to be back in theaters. There's still some distance between folks, and the theaters aren't always full, but been wonderful to hear human laughter in a in a in real life yeah you've timed the publication of this book quite well (laughs) just as the world is coming blinking back into the light here it comes Uh, listen people thought all the light we cannot see was an ambitious novel big scale big themes lots of research you would have thought maybe you'd have kind of stepped back and go, oh, I can relax now because I'm a huge Pulitzer Prize-winning author. But the scale of Cloud Cuckoo Land is extraordinary. Uh, how, I mean, it, it starts in 
back in Greek time, goes right into the the future. Um, uh, tell me about what it was like getting this idea and then thinking, oh God, now I've got to write this. <laughs> That's about right. There were many of those moments for sure. Yeah, All the Light We Cannot See is over 500 pages and it uh, kind of oscillates ping pongs, two characters. So it's really an A, B, A, B back and forth structure. And this novel oscillates between five characters. So it's A, B, C, D, E, and it moves back and forth in time. I'm in the 15th century, I'm in the present day, and I'm in the near future too. Uh, it was a, definitely a hurdle, but it was a great joy too. I love these ensemble projects. There's always something to work on if you get stuck in the 15th century and you're getting bogged down with research. You just move to the present. There's always something that I'm excited about working on. So I love these big puzzles, and I hope the reader kind of enjoys this big whirling puzzle assembling all these pieces with me as she turns pages. Well, also, it's great that you never, as a reader, what's great is, you know, it's, what, it's about 400 sort of vignettes, 400 sort of... That's right. Yeah, yeah. good job, Graham. That's about right. And they're all little chapterettes. He yeah. about So the reader, the reader's like always that. kind of going, ooh, what's next? What's that? And you never get confused. But as a writer, you know, I were you in a room with kind of post-it notes everywhere trying to keep abreast of these things how, how did you write did you write them as separate things or did did you write it kind of chronologically as we see it in the book uh yeah yeah if somebody came in my office they would probably think i'm hunting a serial killer that's how it looks <laughs> you know there's paper everywhere and maps and drawings lots of infantry all taped to the walls uh, yeah, I rarely will write something in the order that a reader will read it. Often, you know, you, you need to know where you're going, at least in yeah. my case. So often I'll be writing the end and then building connective tissue toward that. And uh, often I will actually physically lay these little chapters out on the carpet and try to understand how looking together. Because I've really taken these, it's almost like five novellas and I've shattered them. And then I try to kind of weave them back all together. So I, I'm so concerned about a reader getting confused that I'm always trying to lay them out, read them. You wake up in the morning and you try to read them less as a writer and more as a reader, as a stranger might come to the text. And try to understand, will she get confused here? And if so, how can I kind of make sure she's always oriented? And Lakeport, Idaho features in the book. You obviously know Lakeport, Idaho. That that's fine. Uh, what about all the other places? Had had you visited them? Did you know them, or were you on a on a laptop just doing Google images? <laughs> uh, usually, best case scenario is I'm in a place. I wrote for Condé Nast Traveler for a long time. Oh, so right. I have all these notebooks. So often, I don't know uh, at the time if I will set a work of fiction somewhere. But ever since I was 16, I've kept a daily notebook. And some some days, if you're at home, you know, things are so familiar, you're really activated. So maybe you're not writing as much in the journal. But when I'm traveling, especially in a place where people aren't speaking English, often I find I'm writing less fiction and writing more in my notebooks. So I'm always trying to harvest details and understand what I'm looking at. So I think uh, maybe for me, I've always got some notes from Istanbul or I've got notes from London. There's a whole section of the novel set in London. And then I can go back and uh, cannibalize some of those details. And then the best case scenario before the pandemic, anyway, I'd get to go when I'm pretty far along in a project, go back and make sure I've got details right, the way people are dressed, the light, the birds, the seasons, try to get those things right. And it, obviously it's a, it's a story about people, but it's also a story about the planet and and what we're doing to it. What sort of responsibility do you think like writers of fiction have to deal with those big themes? 
Yeah, good question. Yeah, I mean, I hope the book is a joyful book. But yeah, each of the characters, of course, is going through some the characters is named Seymour. He's a teenager in Idaho and is very affected by the destruction of a forest behind his house. And it's really in, in a way a microcosm of what development is doing all over the world. And I just wanted to ask questions about climate chaos and climate change and what's coming for future generations. I read this book by Amitav Ghosh, an Indian writer called The Great Derangement. And he wondered why novelists weren't taking on climate change. And he conjectured maybe it was because the span of time covered by most novels doesn't doesn't uh, allow for the you know for the decades long and here i was writing this book set over centuries so i thought you know i'm dealing with the survival of manuscripts over time in cloud cuckoo land but i thought i'm going to also see if i can ask questions about the survival of our species over time and anthony i mentioned in the intro you know that you'd uh, written other other books and i'm sure you're perfectly happy getting on with your life and then you wrote all the light we cannot see so when did you know that, oh, this isn't the same as, you know, uh, writing other books. This isn't the same reaction. When did you know that it was going gangbusters? <laughs> well, I had a little inkling. My, I gave it to my father-in-law maybe three months before publication. And he came, uh, he read it all in one day. It's 500-page book. And he came out of his bedroom. We were staying with him for the holidays. And he came out and he's like, this is good. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, like you didn't like the previous books? And so I think that was my first sense of, okay, there's something different. And then my publisher sent me something in Seattle called Winter Institute, which is this convention of booksellers. And of course, nobody knew who I was. And I was in the elevator with maybe six other booksellers, and they were all talking about the book very excitedly. And that was another moment, a couple months before publication. It was kind of mind-blowing. I thought, oh my gosh, like there's a lot of books they have to read, and they're all talking about this one. Wow. But of course, you still don't understand quite what's coming. You know, uh, I had maybe reached 50 or 60,000 readers with my previous books and been so excited. You know, you have eight people at your event in Barnes and Noble in Tampa, Florida or something. And you're like, thank you so much for coming. But, you know, pretty soon I'd have a thousand or two thousand people in these theaters when I'd be talking about this book. And that's when you start to get a little overwhelmed, too, because I used to answer all the mail I got. I used to have my email address on my website and. So I used to have to kind of settle in and say, it's okay, I'm not going to be able to respond to every reader. I won't be able to make every person feel acknowledged. And uh, and that's okay. It's a real treat. It's a privilege to get to have your work read. Wow. And were you doing something else as well as writing up until uh, All the Light We Cannot See? I was. I was often teaching or writing for magazines or, you know, I would travel and drive yeah. across the state of Oregon to go, you know, make $2,000 and teach a workshop. So, uh, yeah, it was a big change for us to be able to think, oh, maybe we'll be able to pay for college for our kids. Kind of <laughs> exciting. Wow. Wow. Those kids might get an education after all. Yeah. Well That's done. Right. Um, and so the huge success comes and everyone hopes for success, but then it, it's almost like a sort of a burden because you've got you've to try to replicate it. So had you started writing Cloud Cuckoo Land before All the Light We Cannot See hit or was all the pressure on page one? <laughs> yeah, great question. Uh, well, All the Light We Cannot See is maybe 60% set in a town in Brittany, France called Saint-Malo. And that has little medieval walls, about two kilometers of medieval walls around it, and was part of Hitler's vast megalomaniacal project of building the Atlantic Wall, this huge 
insane project to try to build a series of fortifications down Norway, Belgium, Denmark, all the way to the Franco-Spanish border to prevent invasion from Britain and the United States. And every text I would read about the history of defensive walls would mention the walls of Constantinople. So even before I'd finished All the Light We Cannot See, I had a drawing of the walls of Constantinople on my wall as an idea maybe for a next project. And sometimes in the evenings I would read about it because I knew nothing about the Byzantine Empire. We didn't learn about it in school in the United States. So I knew I started having notes and some research, which was really good, I think, because things got very busy for a couple of years with all the light. At least each day I could try to kind of keep the paint wet on this project. I didn't know it would be called Cloud Cuckoo Land. I didn't know I'd be asking questions about climate change or moving into the future at that point. But at least I started reading about texts and the survival of manuscripts from the Middle Ages down into the present day in these libraries in Constantinople. At least I had some of that stuff going early. And that kind of momentum helps, I think, because then once you, I, I wear headphones when I work, and uh, once you put those on, usually two or three minutes into your day, all those worries about how your book's going to be received or what your agent's going to think, those, those things generally go away. It's just so interesting and compelling to play around with sentences and try to tell stories that, uh, thankfully, I get to live in that little world, that kind of cloud cuckoo land inside my head during the workday. And then it's later that you start thinking, oh, what are they going to think? You know, but that's not till you're doing the dishes or walking the dog. In the Please evening. buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, very quickly, all that we can see, that is Netflix are doing, is that, uh, that's, have they started production on that or is that just kind of in the, in the works? It's in the works. They've started casting. Oh, and wow. What's pretty exciting is the main character is one of the main characters. There's two protagonists and one is visually impaired. And so they're doing a worldwide casting search for the role of Marie. They're looking for a low vision or a blind actor, a young girl. So hopefully they'll find somebody amazing. I think I'm really proud of them for trying that. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think they, they're hoping to start next March. Okay. Well, in the meantime, people can uh, divert and entertain themselves with Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. It is out in hardback now. Thank you so much. Uh, can you go back to bed now and sleep or is that it? You're up. <laughs> oh, I'll just go for a walk and then I got to go to the airport. But thanks, Graham. It was lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. You wanted to be a successful writer. So there you go. <laughs> this was your dream. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you very much for talking to us. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. There's a lot more to come. Julian Clary talks to us about his brand new book, The Lick of Love, a celebration of the bond twixt human and dogs. But first, let's see what show chef Martha got up to in the kitchen this weekend. She's arrived, everyone. Martha Collison. She's here. She's here. Show chef. Shining Brady, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Like you've got your chef jacket on again. I know. I bought it back this week. She means business, ladies and gentlemen. Lost without it. Was it in the dry cleaners? (laughs) (laughs) It was in the washing machine. (laughs) I wish I was that classy. (laughs) In the washing machine. uh, Yeah. Well, it looks beautifully ironed and everything. I mean, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. it's, It's come back. I'll become a treat. Uh, right, what have you made for us today? So something cheesy today. Mm. Cheese is one of my favourite foods. Um, so I had five recipes to pick from, but I've gone for a nice autumnal salad. So we've got a Cornish yarg and fig salad for you to try today. So this is one of your own recipes? It is, yes. Mm. Okay. Uh, now, I'm afraid 
I, I mean, you know, I've eaten cheese in my day. I've never heard of a Cornish Yarg. Oh, well, you're in for a treat then. Yeah. What is Cornish Yarg? It's a fascinating cheese. I actually. <laughs> it's a fascinating it, cheese. Well, get prepared to be fascinated <laughs> yeah. by get this cheese. Get a pen, cheese. everyone. Get a pen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm a bit of a cheese nerd. I actually started my um, food career working on the Waitrose Cheese Counter when I was 17. Um, that was my first job. Oh, wow. Learning okay. about all the cheese. And Cornish Yarg is one of those cheeses that stands out because it's bright green. The rind of the cheese is bright green because they cover it in nettles. So they really, they prepare this cheese in Cornwall, um, almost a bit like Cornish pasties in the sense that it has to be made in Cornwall. It's got that kind of status. Um, And then once the cheeses have been made, they lovingly wrap them all in these nettles and then leave them to mature. And they create this amazing kind of like green kind of carpet over the top and the bottom of the cheese. So it's really spectacular to look at. They do one with wild garlic as well. It's a bit more seasonal, so I don't think it's in season right now, but they use wild garlic leaves to cover the whole cheese. Adds a little bit of flavour to it and yeah. helps it to mature in a really specific way. So it's a very unique cheese. So you don't get rid of that. You cut through that and keep that on. Yeah. Oh, okay. You keep that on. I'm not sure if I've left any in there today. <laughs> but okay. the middle, it kind of that, that nettle flavour just imparts right through the cheese. Um, you can find it on the cheese counters. They don't sell it pre-packed in Waitrose, so you have to see, go and ask. <laughs> oh, you see, I, I'm 58 and still I'm not confident enough to approach a cheese counter. Oh. I still, I, if, like, if it's pre-packed, I'll buy it. But I don't, I mean, <laughs> any tips for it? Like, what do you ask when you go to the cheese counter? Do you just, do you point and kind of go, I'd like that much? Do you show them with your hands or do you, in your head, do you have to know what weight is because I don't well I think doing the hands is easier because even as a cheese counter kind of professional it's hard to know exactly how much (laughs) how many grams are so they normally would just be like you say oh fancy something uh, kind of tangy or whatever and they'll be able to recommend you a few different cheeses one of the perks of being a cheese counter staff member is you get to taste all the cheeses to make sure that you can recommend them all obviously Mm. so and then they'll kind of do a little wedge with the hand well, how much would you like and then you can decide how much you want and it's a good way to try cheese because you can buy a tiny tiny amount you can buy 50 grams or you can buy the whole wheel <laughs> but it means you can have yes. a little taste of the things that you're not sure about and without having purchased a whole big piece good cheese shopping advice <laughs> so uh, it's it's the cornish yard it's figs and what's the greenery so the greenery this is a packet of mixed leaves so we've got it's rocket and um, watercress and spinach so it's a nice mix of kind of punchy leaves to go against those sweet figs and i've got some candied pecans in there as well for a little mm, bit of crunch right well we'll get the full recipe uh, after i've Snarfed some down. I just tasted it, Martha. And what's great about it is because it's got cheese and the flesh of the fig, it's a proper substantial thing, isn't it? Mm. It's a proper filling Absolutely. up meal. Yeah. yeah, it's an autumnal salad. I mean, summery salads can be those things that kind of just disappear and you kind of don't feel like you've eaten anything. But <laughs> a, an autumnal salad, you want to feel like you've oh, had yeah. a bit of a bit of substance in there. Mm. And figs are really good, well, in season at the moment as well. So you can get really nice jammy ones that, that I've literally, all I've done to them is stuck them in a frying pan, coated in a little bit of oil, three or four minutes on each side. And then they're good to add to the salad and a little bit warm as well so that you get a nice contrast of uh, kind of heats in there as well. Okay, so talk us through what we do first. So first of all, you want to make your pecan nuts. So you can make these a week or so in advance. They're actually quite a nice little snack. So you take some icing sugar and some mixed spice and a little bit of sea salt and mix it into like a paste with a little bit of water. Toss your pecans through there and then stick onto a baking tray into the oven for about 10 to 12 minutes. They go nice and toasty and you get this lovely little crispy sweet crust on them, which works really nicely with the kind of salty cheese and those figs as well. So they go... And drinks. Yeah. I'm thinking I sort of... I've I've lost interest. 
is in the salad. I'm not thinking, mm, those nuts would be really nice for the gin and tonic. Uh, okay, so uh, I didn't eat all the nuts. I've left some behind. They're ready for the salad. What do we do next? So we've got our nuts ready and then the figs go next. They go into the frying pan, a little couple of minutes on each side. Then you want to prepare your dressing. So what I always do for a dressing is save a jam jar or something like that because you want something with a lid. It's quite difficult to mix a dressing by hand and you don't want to get a whole food processor dirty for something small and simple. So take a jam jar that's empty, put in some balsamic vinegar, some um, olive oil, a little bit of honey and a little bit of Dijon mustard. Put the lid on, shakey, shake, shake until it's nice and kind of it emulsifies into a lovely thick and glossy dressing. That gets drizzled over our leaves in a bowl. Put the figs on top, crumble over your Cornish yarg or any other cheese that you would like to use. Nuts go on last and then you're good to go. And Bob is literally your uncle. <laughs> yeah. And no, that is really good. It's and, and yeah, like I say, it's, I think because of the flesh of the, the figs, it's more substantial than you think it's mm. going to be. It kind of fills you up. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it's vegetarian. <laughs> um, uh, Martha, you'll be back tomorrow. Any clues as to what you'll be cooking tomorrow Oh, well, it's something slow cooked. Which means I've got to get here <laughs> extra early. <laughs> but anything for you. <laughs> oh, well, that's good of you. Could you put it on now? <laughs> Just put it very low and go away. If you'd like the recipe, Martha's recipe for yog and fig salad, just go to our Instagram page at Virgin Radio UK and you just tap it things and eventually you'll find the recipe I mean, it, I mean it's not rocket science I managed to do it it's not as easy as you think it's going to be but it's not as hard as it might be mm. yeah you tap at the, the thing at the top anyway you'll you'll figure it out the Graham Norton radio show podcast Virgin Radio Martha Collison our show chef uh, what do you bring us today I see the trolley's back ding ding yes the trolley is back this was one that I couldn't quite uh, do well, one handed I, I can smell it now. <laughs> now I say to Martha during the break I feel like I'm, maybe I'm getting COVID I can't smell that but I can smell it now. It's just hit me. Yeah, it's quite fragrant once it reaches you, but this is uh, <laughs> a fishy dish this Sunday morning. So we've got some braised squid with fennel and mussels. And there's a bit of cod in there as well, which doesn't get a name check in the title, but I feel like it deserves one, so I'm going to say it. And cod. <laughs> OK. Is this your recipe? It is not one of my recipes. Oh. No, this is a recipe from... I'm not sure who's written it, actually, but it's in the Waitrose Food magazine this month, the October, and part of a feature called... Um, going slowly or something like that about slow cooking. Oh yes, this is slower slow cooking. food. Yes, yeah, so no, this doesn't sound like it would be slow. So it's not as slow as I expected. I must be honest. I feel like I overegged it to you yesterday <laughs> that I was going to sleep over here in order to cook this, and then I read through the recipe and thought, oh, okay, <laughs> twenty-five <laughs> minutes. I can <laughs> I can manage that. I think it's slow in comparison to what you'd imagine. So for things like squid, you think that's calamari, that's seconds in the pan, really. But things like squid, they either need to be cooked really kind of slow for fish which is about half an hour or really quick they can't have a middle if you just go for a middle time like 15 minutes it'll be really tough and chewy so you've either got to braise it slowly or kind of flash fry it really quickly okay so you do well i'm tempted to ask a recipe type <laughs> question but i i won't these are strong flavors aren't mm. they? these are strong and also texture some people they'll eat fish but they 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 draw the line at squid yeah, this is this is definitely a fish lover's dish, I'd say, because <laughs> it's got quite a lot of fish going on. So we've got mussels in there, we've got um, cod in there, Icelandic cod, and then we've got, um, the obviously, the squid and fish stock. So it's quite fishy. So if you like fish, you'll love this. It reminds me of kind of like Spanish seaside, kind of Mediterranean flavours, and it's quite nice and warming, bring you a bit of sunshine if it's a bit uh, foggy out there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't spring it on a guest you don't know very well. No, I think make sure that the person coming for dinner really likes fish. <laughs> and then... And if they do, this is be right up their street. <laughs> no, but also, I'm, I'm, 
slightly tempted to give it, it I nothing more annoying than a picky guest. You just think <laughs> I'm giving you free food, eat it. <laughs> yes. Shut up and eat it. It's not, it's not a restaurant. There's no menu. Have it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I'm with you. Uh, I'm about to shovel this down my mouth, and then we'll find out uh, how you make it. So uh, talk us through it. How do we, how do we start? So we're going to start with you want a big pan. So find one of your biggest saucepans that has a lid on it, mm. oh, and yeah. then onions go into the pan and fennel. Now fennel is a lovely vegetable because it tastes really good raw in salads, but also when you cook it, it has a lovely kind of aniseedy caramelized flavour, which mm. makes it a lovely base. So the fennel and the onions go in with a little bit of saffron. Being a bit fancy this Sunday. Mm. So a little pinch of saffron, um, some salt and some thyme and a little lemon. That all goes in together. Simmer it until it's soft for about 10 minutes. Then in goes your squid, stock, some tomatoes. The squid then in the stock and tomatoes will cook for about 25 minutes. So nice and slow. You don't really want it bubbling. You want it just really low heat so that it just cooks it really gently and slowly and makes it nice and tender and soft. Mm-hmm. Once your squid is cooked, take out a piece, have a little bite, make sure that it's at your desired texture and then throw in your mussels and your cod gently kind of put them in and they'll poach in that liquid as well so are you waiting for the mussels to open then yes so the mussels these are actually cooked mussels so you buy them pre-cooked in the packet just because it is quite difficult to find raw mussels in supermarkets yeah yeah yeah. so you, these are cooked but you could use raw ones if you get them from your fishmonger or something like that but they go in but any that haven't opened up you want to get rid of those because those will be the dodge the dodgy mussels <laughs> what no so i'm, I'm confused so these are cooked but the other not open. So the, all of these ones were open, oh, but should you oh, come across one? So, so, yeah, so you buy a bag of cooked ones, yes. and, but there might still be some closed ones yes. in there. And if you find one of those, chuck it out. They're dead as a dead thing. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't try. Don't try don't. and get in there. You don't know what you'll find. Yeah, they didn't want to eat, they didn't want to eat muscles anyway, and now you've poisoned them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And then once it comes out, this is the kind of dish you want to serve with some nice crusty sourdough, bit of mayonnaise. It's got that lovely seaside kind of bays kind of vibe. Do you know what? It looks and tastes really hard to make. Wow, it's not that. I hopefully yeah, no, most of no, no, didn't make no, it. No, what you just described, I'm thinking, oh, much I could make yeah. that. Yeah. The good thing about fish is that, especially things like cod and the mussels, they cook in five minutes. So once they're in the liquid, five minutes of poaching and they're ready. So actually, it's quite hands off. Once it's in, it's easy to cook. It doesn't take ages and you know the results that you're going to get are going to be good. Do you know, because mussels terrified me. I've never cooked a mussel. <laughs> never cooked a mussel. But this sounds really. So you just buy them cooked and yeah. then you can't go wrong because my worry is that I will kill someone yes. so yeah <laughs> make sure they're piping hot but yeah these ones were cooked in a garlic butter so they've got a lot of extra flavour with them as well but you can buy them they also do them I notice in a kind of white wine and cream sauce next to that so ready to go for a nice uh, and hearty are they in the freezer section or in the fresh like, they're in chiller the, section in the fresh kind of chilled section of Waitrose yeah yeah no they're just out there they're just on the shelf <laughs> they're just yeah, yeah. Well I mean, yeah I mean check them because uh, yeah they might just be room temperature <laughs> yeah don't don't buy those ones <laughs> no, this seems like a proper occasion meal. Yes. Yeah, for someone who likes fish. Yeah, I think <laughs> slow-cooked dishes are a bit like that, aren't they? Because they take a bit more time and thought to put into them. They're brilliant to serve for friends because it kind of shows, I've been thinking of you since yeah. this morning. I was so on this meal in the morning. I was ready with my ingredients. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like it's that slow. Okay, I mean, this yeah. one. This yeah. one isn't that slow. This no. one, you could just sound thoughtful and not have been that thoughtful. I feel like most, <laughs> I feel like most things are going to take this long. Yeah, that is true, actually. But the other recipes in this feature were really nice. There's some nice braised kind of short ribs, there's braised sausages and things like that that would take longer and be delicious as well. All right, Martha. Well, if people want the recipe, uh, do you want to try this for yourselves 
at home if you'd like to go to the Virgin Radio Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and you just stab away at it until something leads you to a recipe. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time for my guest. It is, well, one of my favourites. It's the lovely Julian Clary. Hello, Julian Clary. Oh, hello. You're one of my favourites as well, Graham. Ah. So are you, um, uh, are you just, uh, did you, were you on stage last night? I was. We would, I was doing the dresser in Norwich and uh, we'd been there all week, polished off Norwich and next week we're in Cambridge. Oh, nah. oh that'll be nice. Yes, nice. It will di- be. The art theatre will be lovely. Mm, nice, nice digs in Cambridge. And I read, <laughs> I read a review somewhere. It was a fabulous review of you and Matthew Kelly in The Dresser. So congratulations. Thank you. We're having a lovely time. It's, it's a nice meaty play to, you know, distract me from my normal activities. <laughs> <laughs> do you like, I mean, is it weird? Because obviously, you know, you do panto, you do stand up. Is, uh, is it nice not to have to kind of interact and ad lib with the audience? Or is it kind of a, a, a straight jacket that you, you fight against? No, I've, I've got used to it. The first week or so, I was my brain was trying to do two things at once it was trying to do what it usually does on stage and um, comment on there was a man in the front row last night wearing shorts for example which i thought <laughs> very tight snug shorts as well it's october I there's, well there's there was 10 minutes of material there where i able to dive in but I've, I've, i just concentrate now on the script and telling the story and um life is calmer if you if you do that Yes. And it is interesting that you and Matthew Kelly, who are both, you know, light entertainment figures, and now you're in this, you know, big, heavy play. It's, yeah. Well, yes, I think um, Matthew's been doing proper acting for decades, you know. Um, For me, I, I, I don't know about you, I get to a certain age and I think, well, I must do something dangerous. I must, you know get out of my comfort zone and otherwise it's just kind of the same same thing all the time um and no I, i'm really really enjoying this and i'm enjoying being part of a company so it's not just me talking about myself all the time i mean that is the nice thing isn't it but talking about talking about yourself let's go to the book the lick of love how dogs change my life i foolishly thought oh it'll be a book all about dogs and it is about dogs but it's a lot about <laughs> julian clary Yes, funny that. Well, I, I wanted to write a, a sequel to my previous autobiography, but I, want, I wanted to find a way in. So, I, and the way in was to, talking about the dogs because it occurred to me there's always been a dog in my life from the age of 21, and I wanted to thank them in a way. I wanted to thank them for how they've guided me through because I think if I hadn't had Fanny and Valerie and Albert and Gigi, then I might have gone off the rails a bit. You know, dogs give us all the obvious things we know about like unconditional love but i my theory is that they are sent by some kind of higher force just at the right time the right dog will arrive if you open yourself up to it and they help you and restrain you and do all kinds of ethereal things yes because when you got uh, fanny fanny the wonder dog i mean you shouldn't have got a dog really i mean you were no, no. <laughs> But the urge came upon me and it was impossible to fight it. I was I was not knowing what I was doing with my life. I was living in one room in New Cross and everyone said, no, don't get a dog. You know, you've got to get a job. But I got her and, and at that time, believe it or not, I was quite a shy and unsure of myself person. And it was Fanny who had the personality. It was Fanny who had the energy and the, the kind of lust for life. And so when I found myself doing 
cabaret shows, she came on stage with me because there was nowhere else for her to go. And it was, I like to think, Fanny that propelled me up the cabaret ladder, you know. And um, if it wasn't for her, I'd have probably gone and worked for Help the Aged, which I'd applied for a job with them at that time. And nothing wrong with working for no. Help the Aged, don't get me wrong. But things changed, and that's down to, to Fanny. And, and then when I... I'm sorry. No, when yeah, I got, no. I was just going to say, when I got Valerie, <laughs> I got Valerie when I was at the height of things and I might well have overindulged in various recreational activities were it not for uh, Valerie's serene presence restraining me. I like the way that you tried to introduce Valerie to show business. She was not having it. She did, she did not want to, a starring role. No, I, I was convinced that she was Fanny reincarnated and this was, this was foolish of me. And I, I found myself doing an adult weekend cabaret show at Butlins and um, I went on stage at 11 o'clock and it was a free bar and everyone was quite frisky. And she was very young and so I carried her on thinking now suddenly that Fanny will emerge. And um, she was absolutely horrified and terrified and, and thereafter she would sit in a dressing room but if I was going on stage for a sound check or whatever, she would get the quivers. And uh, no, it wasn't for her. She had no talent. Yeah, but also there was a weird thing where I assumed Fanny, you retired Fanny, that she got too old. But she kind of retired herself. She decided she didn't want to do it anymore. Well, there was a horrible incident. I was I arrived in Newcastle to do a gig and um, she was a very well-behaved dog and she would just stay if I said stay there. And so while I was paying the taxi driver, she dived she saw a squirrel or something and and uh, there was an awful thud and she'd kind of bounced off the side of a car and then half an hour later we had to go on stage so she associated that trauma with being on stage thereafter and she she, she retired herself at the height of her popularity which is quite a simple <laughs> thing to do yeah. um now i can't talk to you about dogs without talking about the the difficult bit of dog owning and you know there's lots of loss in the book you talk about your father and and your partner but the death of a dog is different somehow i mean it's not better or worse but it's just it's different uh, how do you cope oh well it's it's such a kind thing to do to be able to save a dog from the last few days or weeks yeah. of suffering and it is i felt it was my responsibility to deal with it and um and Yes, I mean, it, it, it's no less painful, but um, I, I arranged for the vet to come to home where Valerie was, she was fast asleep. She was never really going to get out of her basket again. And um, it just sort of happened without her knowing. Yeah. Um, I always think it's that weird thing, isn't it, that, you know, we all know we're mortal, but dogs don't. It's, it's, they, that's how they live their life, not knowing that it's going to end. But I do like, I like the last phases. I like, I like an old dog around. There's, you know, they're so kind of calming and creaky and they, they, they kind of get old overnight. But I think, oh, you're entitled to this phase of your life, snoring in the corner and, and reeking. <laughs> um, Fanny used to sleep in my bed for 19 years, you know, head on the pillow beside me, spooning. And um, the last few years with the bad breath and the molting, it was something else. But it was too late to change the routine by then. It's amazing what you tolerate with a dog that you would never tolerate in a human being. 
<laughs> I know. I know the slightest burp and somebody <laughs> is in the spare room. <laughs> Julian Andrea's been in touch with us. Uh, she oh, yeah. saw you in the dresser. Uh, really enjoyed it. Absolutely brilliant. Let's get that out of the way straight away. <laughs> she Thank loved you, Andrea. It. She loved it. Uh, interesting question, though. She's going, as there are no microphones involved with the production, I was wondering if it makes a difference for you speaking on stage with your natural voice. And it's true, as a comic, you know, you really kind of use the mic, don't you? So uh, what's, what's, what's that like? Yes, it, it, was, um, it was disconcerting. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know who else's voice to use apart from my own. Um, <laughs> but, um, I'm... Norman speaks quite quickly, and um, so um, I'm floundering slightly. Yes, it does make a difference, <laughs> is, the, is the answer. I'm thinking Andrew's asked a rather good question. I have you to you have no answer. <laughs> I have to project, is the answer. Yeah, you have to shout. Well done, you. Yeah. Uh, Julian Clary, uh, the, uh, you talked er, in the first bit of the chat about you know doing things that frighten you, like going on stage in the dresser. As you get older, you want to challenge yourself. And I was really yes. interested. I didn't realise that you'd sold a Goldenhurst, this beautiful house, your passion. It was your it was your thing, and you walked away from it. I know, I know. I get these voices, you see, telling me to do things like get a dog, <laughs> and. I spent 10 years um, doing up Goldenhurst and bringing it back to life because it was in a bit of a state. And as is often the way with me, once you've done something, and I, then I spent two years living it, well, it was very nice. And I thought, well, this is, is this my life now, you know, um, going to Kent and, and back to London? And I kind of wanted to make something else happen. So the voices came into my head saying, sell it, get rid of it, sell it. And I thought, well, I couldn't possibly... But I did. And just just after I sold it, um, we all went into lockdown, Graham, and I didn't I wasn't able to earn a crust. So it was just as well because it was quite an expensive project. And I'm, I'm very happy to have passed it on to someone else who loves it. And um, meanwhile, I'm looking for pastures new. OK, so no regrets. No, there's the occasional sunny afternoon when I think, oh, I could be I could be sitting on my swing drinking gin. <laughs> Um, in Goldenhurst, but um, a lot of the time, no, I'm just kind of glad that it's it's gone to someone lovely, and uh, that's okay by me. And what dogs are in your life now? You've got two now. Yes, I've got Albert, who is a kind of geezer dog. He, he, I was on the Paul O'Grady show when they brought out a basket of homeless puppies, which was fatal. I, I was on I mean... with McFly and these puppies, and I thought, someone's coming home with me tonight. And it turned out to be Albert. So he, he's eased me into middle age. He's a very kind of calming, lovely, snoozy dog. And um, then about a year and a half ago, my husband spotted a picture of, of Gigi in a Serbian dog rescue website. And um, We've we had changed. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> we had a psychic flash and we decided we had to have Gigi, who's a scream. I mean, she was living feralily in a graveyard in Nice for who knows how long. So she's very sweet and simpering, but every now and then she sort of turns into a wild creature and she likes a bit of violence with Albert. Um, so she keeps us on our toes. It is. Rescue dogs are, I mean, it's wonderful to do it, but there's always this hidden layer, isn't there, of like, how did you survive? How did you, how did you make it to this point? But you can see her, when you see her in full 
you know, I compare her to Bette Davis on crack, you know, when she's in, <laughs> in that mode. You can say, oh, that's how you survive, because she's tiny. But if there was one dead pigeon and 20 dogs to eat it, she would have been at the front. She would have fought her way through. She's ruthless. Good for her. Uh, I Ju- know. Julian, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of a fascinating way to, to look at your life through these dogs that, that have kind of uh, helped you and saved you and you've saved them. It's it's really lovely. The Lick of well, Love, it's out in Harback now and the dresser tour continues in Cambridge. Is that the end or there's more after that? No, Cambridge, then Plymouth. And then the last week of this leg is in Richmond at the end of the month. Oh, lovely. Near to home. Nice. Your own bed. Yes, Very lovely. nice. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> uh, Julian Clary, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank bye. you. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye, dear. Take care. <gasps> Ooh. Is your heart beating a little faster unexpectedly? It's because of the excitement in the air, ladies and gentlemen. We are playing... Guess. The, uh... Uh, the um... Guest. Guest. And people will be trying to identify this voice. I'm such a worse man. I, I get nervous and I fall, so I can't wear shoes. People want me to say, you know, I want to be close to the earth. But it's just you I fall over. I want to feel the ground. No, I just fall over everything. I'm so. But crazy. have you sung in shoes ever? I did it once. And not a happy thing. I did thing. it once for James Brown, and that's the only man I'll ever do it for, and I can't do that again, so... Mm. And if they correctly identify that voice, they will win the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box. OK. Uh, first up is Steph. Hello, Steph. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm grand. Thanks for asking. Uh, where are you, Steph? Uh, well, based outside Milton Keynes. Outside Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all outside Milton Keynes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and uh, what do you do, Steph? Um, I'm at home. Oh, OK, lovely. And have you got plans for this uh, very misty Sunday or are you just relaxing? Uh, we're going to go and watch the NFL game in London. Oh, wow. In Is it in Wembley? Uh, no, it's in the Tottenham Hotspur uh, Stadium. I don't okay. know what it's called. I know. I'm going I'm, along for the ride. I'm just nodding. I'm just nodding, Steph, like I know what it <laughs> Me is. Me too. Okay. Lovely. Is it two American teams that come over or have we got a British NFL team? No, it's two American teams. They play a couple of matches every year in one of the... Um, in British stadiums. Yeah, one uh, of those stadiums yeah. that we know all yeah. about, Steph. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, do they bring the cheerleaders with them? Oh, yes, yeah. It's great. Oh, fabulous. All right, that sounds really good. So long as the mist means you can see the, <laughs> see the pitch. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> all true. right, are you getting that gift box? Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? We think it might be Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, good guess. That's even right. <laughs> No, she wears oh. shoes. She wears shoes, sadly. Oh, okay. All right, enjoy the NFL match. Bye, Steph. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye. 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 Uh, next up, we've got Gil. Hello, Gil. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, I sense an accent. Where are you, Gil? I'm from Dundee, Scotland. And is that where you are? You're in Dundee now? Yes. Uh-huh. Lovely. Yes. And what does your Sunday hold for you? Well, I'm just back from running. And I think I'm going to see James Bond this afternoon. I mean, that is already... I mean, Gail, that's a full Sunday. A run. I know. And, and, I know. A, and a three-hour film. <laughs> yeah. As long as that. Oh. Well, it's near, I think it's nearly three hours. How long, why, how long did you run for? Well, we did ten miles today. What? I mean, Gail, you deserve to fall asleep at a James Bond film. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy, yeah. enjoy that. All right, let's find out if we're getting get to a waitress box full of goodies. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? Jesse J. 
Jessie J. Does Jessie J not wear shoes? <laughs> she wears oh. shoes. Okay. I mean, listen, you've got a, you've got the the yeah the, the thrill of your run and the excitement of a James Bond film in your future. Uh, thanks for playing, Gil. Take care of yourself. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye 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 bye. bye. Uh, next up, we've got Simon. Hello, Simon. Good morning, Graham. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. And yourself? I'm grand, thanks. Is Southampton uh, covered in mist as well? Yeah, it was quite foggy when I was out walking this morning, but it seems to be lifting slowly. OK. Just a walk, not a run. I like you. Uh, More of a shuffle <laughs> than a walk. <laughs> yeah, my morning shuffle. I went, yeah. uh, do you have anything else planned? Anything, anything wildly energetic planned for the rest of Sunday, Simon? No, no, I've had uh, all my uh, energy enthusiasm this morning. Yeah, you've peaked with your shuffle, your morning shuffle, you peaked. That's it, it's all, it's all slow stuff from here on in. Hey, well, listen, listen, the, all, everything could change now. You might be about to win a fabulous box of goodies from Waitrose. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? I think it might be Joss Stone. Joss Stone, good guess. Let's find out if you're right. <gasps> you're right! Oh, Simon, congratulations. You see, wow. you didn't oh, you didn't overtire your brain by any exercise. You, you were ready, you were ready and poised to win the uh, the Waitrose gift box. Anyone you'd like to say hello to on the uh, radio, Simon? Oh, to my son Tom if he's around and listening. All right. Well, hello to Tom and uh, congratulations, Simon. Enjoy your box of goodies. They'll be winging their way through you and there'll be, you know, things inside. Well, obviously, there's things inside. It's a big physical box of things. All right. Thanks, Graham. Thanks All right. Cheers. You. Congratulations. Cheers. All right. Bye bye. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.